Hey, my name's Adam, and I am the West Shore Campus Pastor here at Coastline Church on beautiful Vancouver Island. Welcome to our podcast. All the content that you will find here is meant to point you to Jesus and encourage you in your journey wherever it is that you find yourself. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Awesome. So um, uh, if you've been with us, tracking with us for the summer, we are walking through the, the book of Acts. Um, in this particular book, we're, we're learning all about the, the birth of the early church. We're learning a lot about the Apostle Paul's uh, story, background, who he is, how he became a Christian, things of that nature. We've started in June. Uh, we found ourselves here today. We're going to be speaking from Acts chapter 17. And uh, specifically what we're going to be looking at is, is Paul, he started a, a, a missionary journey. And so essentially what that means is Paul started walking around and he, and he was so captivated about who God was and how, how transformed his life had become and how different he saw the world and how, how he was in so many ways recreated as a person. Uh, I've always been drawn to Paul in the scriptures because, because he, was, he was the kind of guy, like he was literally going around and killing Christians. Like you can't get any more opposed to Christianity than that. And he was literally seeking them out to arrest them and have them killed. And then in that journey, God met him where he was, transformed his heart and in his life. And there was this shift that happened in Paul, where all of a sudden there's this piece of him where it's like, if God could save me, God can save anybody. And he was led with that type of ambition, that type of passion, that type of, of, of calling. And I can align with that because in so many ways, when I think of my own story and my own life, in so many ways, I'm the last person I ever thought who would ever become a Christian. And I've often lived my life thinking to myself, if I can be a Christian, whew, Anybody can become a Christian. And so it's provided me with a, a tremendous amount of fuel. So I don't share my faith with people because I have to. And as a church, we're not, we're not going to go and evangelize the, the West Shore and, and try and convert everybody to Christianity because we're on some sort of spiritual mission to make everybody Christians. What we're actually doing is God has transformed us from the inside out. The way we used to see life and the way we see life now because of the, the, the light of God, because of what God has done inside of us, because of the transformation, because of the fact that we used to be addicted to something and now we're not, because of the fact that we used to feel broken and now we feel like a mosaic, that God used our broken pieces to create something beautiful. Because of that transformation, with that motivation, we go out and we say, you know what? You know who Jesus is? He's extraordinary. He changed my life. And he, not only did he change my life, he can change yours too. And so led with that type of passion, Paul started journeying. And, and so he goes to Thessalonica in, in Acts chapter 17. He goes to Beria in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. He goes to Athens. And I want to pick up the story from when he got to Athens. Because I think what he experienced there is very applicable and relatable for us here today. And so it starts off with these words in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, while, while Paul was waiting for them, while he was waiting for his friends, 
as he was getting ready to, to, to enter Athens on his missionary journey, while he was just, just wasting time touring the city, praying, thinking to himself, God, what is it that you have for me here? God, why would you bring me here? And as he was walking the neighborhoods and he was walking the streets and as he was looking around, he began to notice some cultural things. He was present. He was paying attention. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And that's a very fascinating piece of scripture. In other words, while he was just sitting there kicking the dust, waiting for his friends to show up, as he was looking at culture and, and just, just looking around the neighborhood, there was something inside of him that was grieved. There was something inside of him that caught his attention. And this is what I've come to realize about Christianity. It's important that you pay attention to what gets your attention. And sometimes the issue that grabs your attention is the very issue that God wants you to confront. He, he, he wires this into our beings. Uh, Bill Hybels wrote a, bo a book called A Holy Discontent. And in it, he talks about our, our, our frustrations, and he talks about the things that we see, the things that we notice that are wrong with, with the world. And he makes the argument that maybe, just maybe, you notice what you notice because God is making you aware of it for a reason. What if God is making you, bringing that to mind, bringing that to light, so that you can speak into and address this particular issue? I remember when Shandy and I first moved to Victoria back in 2018, and, and we, we got here August. We've been here for about five years now. It's been great. God bless Vancouver Island. <laughs> so much better than Edmonton. Just saying. <laughs> wow. And, and so, so, we, so we get here, and when we first started working, we were, we were working downtown. And one of the things I noticed right away, and it, and it caught my heart, and, it, and I fell in love with it was that in the front row of the church downtown, we had this culture where, 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 where those with, with, with special needs would typically take up the front pew. And, and I watched as, as there would be this one gentleman who would sit there, um, and he had his, his dinosaurs with him set up perfectly to watch the service. And I'd watch as, as, as other people would sit and, and, and sit in the front and, and, and engage with me as I spoke. And there's this piece of me that thought, wow, this is so beautiful and incredible. As I'd drive to work, I would notice the, 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 just the inner city community. I would notice how many people were, were living on the streets. And I would ask myself, Lord, how do we reach these people? Like, how does somebody who has autism get connected to a small group? How do we, what does that look like? How does, how does somebody who is on, on the street, who is unhoused, who has nowhere to live, how do they invite people to their house for a small group ministry? It doesn't work. It breaks down. And then I, then I really wrestled with this because I'm like, God, like if this is our discipleship strategy, if this is what we say as a church, this is how you grow in your faith. This is how you get connected. This is how you, how you find friends. This is how you find people who will help you walk out your Christian faith. 
But these people can't even come to any of our groups. Our, our, our system is broken. So then I began to pray about it. And I made it a matter of prayer. It's like, okay, Lord, you need to raise up somebody to start a small group. This is what you need to do, God. Let me tell you how to do your job. And, and so I started to pray. God, who's going to lead the small group? And the more I prayed about it, the more God revealed back to me, Adam, I put it on your heart for you. And so I started a small group. And it was the wildest small group you could ever possibly imagine. We, we met all the way up to COVID and during COVID. Um, I only shut it down because we moved out here to the West Shore. But in my group, we had, we had one individual. He'd bring his, he'd bring his dinosaurs. And he sat there with, with his dinos, and, and, and he, we, he engaged in the service. Uh, we had another individual, we, all, all throughout the spectrum uh, of, of, of autism, um, was, was represented around our table. Uh, I had this one, one gentleman who came in who, who didn't have a home, and, and he, he sat there in our, in our room, and, and you can smell him when he walked in. And it was the most <laughs> eye-melting <laughs> But, but beautiful scent I could have ever smelled. And as we sat around this table, I remember the first time I brought Bibles for everybody. I'm like, okay, we're going to read this, these scriptures. And quickly I realized, oh, not everybody could read at the same level. And I realized, okay, we got we to adjust. And so then we just started asking questions that sounded a lot like, hey, what is, what is God doing in your life? Who, who is Jesus to you? And we began to communicate and it was so beautiful because they were so awkward. They, they had like the, the social cues were not there. Like literally, I can remember one person saying one time, just telling about his story. And someone from across the table was like, <laughs> so boring. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> But it made it super fun. And I was like, oh, well, you can just tell what you're thinking. You don't, normally, we think those thoughts. They just say those thoughts. And I was like, this circle is amazing. And I can remember one time during, um, during COVID, and it was early COVID, when we kind of assumed that like, the second you got COVID, you would die. And we were like, oh, my gosh, what is COVID? And uh, we were still trying to meet uh, because they had no community. And so we were meeting in the church. And we were sitting all super distanced, the awkwardest, longest, biggest, widest circle ever. And um, then Colin comes. And he collected enough bottles to buy me a coffee. And he says, I bought you a coffee. And my heart just sank. And then he said, I got it for you just the way you like it. Two cream, seven sugars. <laughs> Which I thought to myself, what is it about me that makes you think I like two cream, seven sugars? But that is awesome. That is awesome. And then he, he passed me the cup of coffee. And I see his fingernails. And I see the coffee all spilt because he had walked with it. And he passes it to me. And it's deep COVID. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm holding this cup of coffee thinking, what would Jesus do <laughs> right now? And I slammed that sucker, <laughs> drank the whole thing. And it was just this really special moment. And I, 
I didn't move to Victoria thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come there and start a small group. No. It was, I saw a need, and I wanted somebody else to solve it. <laughs> but I realized that maybe, just maybe, God placed me here for such a time as this. And this is what being a Christian looks like. You see, as a church, God has each and every one of us in this room. And so each and every one of us, we're going we're to see people differently. And we're going to see things differently. And we're going to see our neighborhoods differently and our communi communities differently and, and, our, and our family makeups differently. And, and we all have these different vantage points. And that's actually something, one, it's going to make this a little harder for us to make this happen. <laughs> but two, it actually, it's a, it's a gift from God, this, this diversity that God brings us. And so what excites me as a pastor is this idea of when I think of the West Shore and I think of what God's doing in our community. When I look around, I'm like, wow, how is this church still growing and still full? Like, what's happening here? It's because God can use each of us to do this little pieces of what his plan is. And so my encouragement for you is to pay attention to what gets your attention. Because maybe, just maybe, you notice that because the Holy Spirit was prompting you to notice that. It continues. So, so, so Paul notices that there's all these, all these idols everywhere. And he's distressed. And, and he doesn't just say to himself, wow, this place sucks. Look at all these idols everywhere. He takes it upon himself to do something about it. And it says in verse 17, so he goes to the synagogues, and it says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And what we see in that tiny, short little sentence is that sometimes practicing your faith looks like having practical conversations. It's not about starting a big epic ministry. It's not about waiting for somebody else to, to respond. It's not about bringing what you see to back to your local church, spending a lot of time thinking about it, and, and then essentially waiting for somebody else to do something about it. Sometimes the best way to be a Christian is to just talk about your faith, just to share what it is that God put on your heart, just to put into words this idea that, hey, God has got my attention about something. Have you considered this? Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And I love this piece because as Christians, oftentimes what happens is we say, okay, go out, share your faith, okay? And as pastors, we say, go share your faith. But we don't really talk about the other side of if you share your faith, there may be pushback, right? It says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So as, as Paul comes and he's, he's motivated, he's energized, he just saw all these idols, and he wants to educate everybody as to, have you not noticed all the idols in this community? Have you not noticed that church? Like, what is going on? And on the one side, we can glorify that and glamorize that. And I can falsely tell you that whenever you step out in faith, everything goes good. But what happens in reality is he shares this group of 
highly educated philosophical thinkers begin to push back. It says some of them start asking, what is this babbler trying to say? Like, that's like demoralizing. Others remarked, he, uh, <laughs> he seems to be advocating foreign gods. What a loser. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And we learned something from this little piece. Just because the good news is good news to you doesn't mean that it's actually good news to everyone else. Sometimes they don't necessarily know that the good news is good news. In fact, when they hear the good news, there's this piece of them that's like, nope, you're crazy. Nope, you're religious. Nope, you don't really understand what's going on in the real world. Nope, you've, you've been brainwashed. Nope, that may be good news to you, but it's not good news to me. And sometimes what happens is people, when we share our convictions, sometimes people will disagree with them. And I need to pre-warn you on this. Because I feel like oftentimes as pastors, what we do is we, we get people excited, we send you out, and we're like, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to go change the world. When, when you notice something, pay attention to that, because I don't want you to act on it. And we don't prepare you for the other side. <laughs> like, it may not go all that smooth. <laughs> And you may share your convictions and somebody may come back to you and be like, no, 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 you're wrong. Just because somebody tells you that you're wrong doesn't mean that you are. And, and, and I try and like even just walk my children through this as they, as they walk through high school and walk through middle school and they're trying to figure out, who am I? What is Christianity? How does the Bible apply to 2023? Because I'll tell you right now, the world doesn't think this book applies still. The world doesn't understand what we do in this room. And so if you're leading your life with this conviction, you're like, you know what, God put this on my heart to deal with this or to speak about this or to, or to speak against this or to take up this cause. If God put it on you to do that, do it. But be prepared that there may be pushback. And that pushback isn't evidence that you're wrong. That pushback is evidence that you see something differently than the other person. So don't be discouraged. God placed you there for such a time as this. It continues. Uh, verse 19. Then they take him. So after, after he speaks, after they, they kind of rebuttal back, after they call him a babbler, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, hey, Paul, you, you, you got us scratching our heads here. It says, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Like, it says, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. If Paul gave up when he first encountered that opposition, that secondary opportunity to speak to people never would have presented itself. And sometimes what we see 
sometimes people are drawn to you because you, you shine bright for Jesus. And some people, sometimes the fact that you are so different, like, that draws people to you. Sometimes the thing that catches your attention, that you speak out for, that you stand up for, is, is, is so countercultural that people are like, wow, that must be Jesus in you. But sometimes, sometimes people just look at you because you're strange. And that piques some sort of curiosity in them. I have fully embraced being strange. <laughs> you get to a point in life where you realize, you know what, this is all I got. You're, you're welcome, Shandy. This is, this is all you got. You got this. Congratulations. And I feel like us as a church, I don't know that it's a win if the community can't tell that you're a Christian by the way that we live our lives because we're so good at fitting into everything. Like, I think there's something about standing out. There's something about being somewhat sort of kind of slightly countercultural. There's something about being a little bit strange. There's something about... Like, if Jesus really transformed our lives, like, shouldn't we live a little bit different? I feel like what happens sometimes is we, we care so much about fitting in that we, that we lower this kind of standard of Christian living to just palatable Christian living. And as long as I'm palatable and not offending anybody and just fitting in and doing my thing, then, then all is good. And in one way, if you value success by having friends and feeling connected, sure. But if, if you value success based off of being the, the truest version of you that you can, like if God really did knit you together in your mother's womb and make you the way he made you, like shouldn't you live that out? And if you do live that out, wouldn't that look a little bit differently than just everybody else? Like there should be something unique about you because God made you unique. And so Jesus speaks. These people notice. You're saying all these strange things. Tell, tell, me, tell me more. It says in verse 21, all the Athenians and, and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And if we're super honest and we look at our current culture, we're, we're not all that different. We love talking about different ideas. It's easy to talk about something, not as easy to, to live something, right? It's easy to talk about how our, our faith. It's not as easy to, to, to live out our faith. And then in verse 22, Paul, Paul he, he takes the moment. He stands up. It says, but then Paul stood up in the meeting, and this is what he said. He said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And I love how he starts off. He speaks with this element of grace and, and, and kindness. He doesn't open with, you're a bunch of fools. Like, have you not seen all these idols everywhere? What's wrong with you? But, he, but he, he sees this little 
little attribute, and he, and he highlights it. And he says, I see that in every way. You're very religious. Good job. Good job. For as I walked around and looked carefully at all your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he says, do you not find it ironic that you literally have an idol to an unknown God, but this unknown God actually is fully knowable? Do you not find it ironic that you know there's something different about this God, but you don't really know who he is? You spend all your time being religious, doing religious stuff, but you have actually this, this symbol representing this unknown God. Do you not find it ironic that this unknown God actually can be known and he does know you? And then he begins to speak. And I'll close with this. Josh, why don't you come up? This is, this is Paul's mini-sermon. And so we'll imagine that he had a guitar player with him when he was sharing it. And so... So, so, he, so he stands up, and everybody's listening. And they're waiting to hear what he's about to say. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Guys, God is so much bigger than you could ever possibly imagine. And everybody's sitting there watching him, listening, thinking, okay, where are you going to go with this? What are you about to say? And he's like, listen, no, the, the God who made the world and every single thing inside of it, like, like the stars, the moon, the, the mountains, the waters, the animals, the people, all of creation. You think, you think that's this God here? This, this idol, this, this, this temple, like, like you, you think this represents all of who God is? He's so much bigger than you could ever possibly imagine. Verse 25. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He created the world. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You guys literally built this God. But this real God, he's the God who built you. He knows you. You can't just build him. You can't just manufacture him. I know you're trying to find life. I know you're trying to make sense of religion. But you don't just make it to suit your own needs. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations, and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, when God started this whole humanity thing, he already had you in mind. So you think you can create God has been part of your creation from the beginning? 
God did this. I love this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of one of us. This God that you that you say you serve and worship, he wants to know you and be a part of your life. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, and I, I love, this is him taking a cultural reference and making it real. It's like, and as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. God's obviously so much bigger than that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has said today that he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. That man is Jesus. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Period. He drops the mic. And there's this silence in the room. And then there's three responses. And I'm so thankful the Bible included these three responses. Because again, it speaks to the diversity of what it looks like to actually live out our faith and actually walk out our convictions and actually do this whole Christian thing. The first response to the people who just heard him preach this banger was this. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. In other words, some of them mocked him. Oh, here he goes again. Some of them started laughing. And, and, and one response to hearing about the gospel is to just to make fun of it or to push it aside and look at it as ridiculous. There was another group of people that day who heard him too. And it says, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. In other words, I'm curious. I'm not convinced. But the way you talk about God, if he's actually that good, I want to be a part of his story. Tell me more. And the third response comes in verse 33. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius. You want that name. Also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. In other words, there were people that heard Paul speaking that day. So you know what? I want what you've got. And if God really cares that much, I want to be a part of that story. And so as we close, I want to, I want to pray with you. Because in a room of this size, I'm confident when you hear the story of Jesus, you may fall into one of these three categories. Some of you hear the story of Jesus and it's like, nope, <laughs> good try, Pastor. I'm okay. I'll be fine. 
Some of you, you hear the story of Jesus and you're like, you know what? I heard you just do your survey thing. I, I, I felt something during worship. I, I'm kind of catching what you're throwing here, but I'm not sure. I'm not convinced, but you got me curious. Maybe I'll come back. And then there's some of you where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. The way God is moving here. I want to experience that in my life. I want God to use me in my community. I, I, I'm all in. And it goes all the way. So I want to pray for all of us today. Regardless of where you find yourself on this journey. As Paul said, God is big. He made you. He's got a plan for you. And he wants to use you. I think we're on the cusp of something really exciting here at the church. And I believe you're a part of it. So I want to pray for you today. Let's, uh, let's stand to our feet. Because after we pray, we'll, we'll sing a song together. We'll call it a day. These bleachers are so loud. That's why I always get you to stand, because I know it's going to be loud. But would you close your eyes with me? Let's make a really sacred moment here. You can be anywhere in the world you find yourself here at church this morning? How did that happen? Maybe you came here and it was just your normal routine. You just come here all the time and so you're here. Maybe you were invited here by a friend. Maybe there's something that just drew you here. But I gotta believe in my heart of hearts that there's no mistake for any one of us being in this room. So Lord, in this moment, humbly we quiet our hearts before you. I just pray the Holy Spirit, you would come. That God, that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. God, that you would open our eyes to see the world the way you see the world. God, that you would open our mouths and give us the words to speak life and to speak truth. God, that you would give us bravery and courage to live out our faith when we have every reason not to. For those of us walking through a storm right now, for those of us walking through a hard time, God, I thank you, Lord, just that today we sang that song, Jaira, and we were reminded that you're our provider. God, we look to you with hope. We look to you with thanksgiving. And I thank you for what you're doing here in this church. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be the, the fullest version of who we are. <laughs> because, God, you've placed us here for such a time as this. So, Jesus, we thank you for what you've done in the past. We thank you for, even this moment, what you're doing in our service today. But, Jesus, right now, in faith, we thank you for what you're going to do tomorrow what you're going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the week. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us and draw us closer to you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.